What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of No BS Finance. Today, we're talking all about fund managers. These are the people that manage big funds and possibly your money. So I talk all about what beating the market means, what fund managers actually do, how they get their bonuses, why they may not be maximizing your returns, why you may see some some funds crush the market and then miss for the foreseeable future, and much more. So this is an interesting episode for sure, and one that will hopefully open your eyes as to why fund managers are not the gurus that Wall Street makes them out to be. So stick around for some of my bullshit tangents, some really good information, and maybe a new perspective on, hey, should I be in a fund or should I be doing this myself? But before we get into all that, as always, this podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not meant as investment advice. If you do like the podcast, please, please download it, like it, share it with your friends as it does help tremendously. My email, my Instagram, they're in the show notes if you want to ask any questions or you have any real life scenarios that you want me to, want me to cover on the podcast. If you are interested in a one-on-one consult, check out my website. The link is in the show notes and also in my Instagram bio. Other than that, Let's get this episode going. All right, all right, all right. We are back and talking all about fund managers. But first, we have to talk about what a fund manager even is. And a fund manager is someone that manages a fund. No shit. More specifically, they are a company that will draw in money from investors. So that could be everyday people, that could be other big clients, that could be companies, etc. And then they will get their portfolio managers and traders to invest that money. Then they will hopefully make some money off that. And then there are all kinds of different funds. So there are hedge funds, there's private equity funds, there's equity funds, there's bond funds, there's opportunity and growth funds, which are bullshit. But those are different funds. There's mutual funds. There's all that kind of stuff. And based on the fund that you are invested in, they will have different regulations and governing oversight bodies that make sure that they are basically being legal and doing stuff that's best for the investors and not just for them. But all you really need to understand is that investors give money to the fund manager and they manage the money or invest it or put it into various investments. A fund manager will manage multiple funds. So you can pick the one that aligns with your goals. But each of these funds is under the same fund manager, if that makes sense. So it's something like BlackRock or Vanguard. They have billions of dollars deposited into them but they also have many different funds that you can invest in. So something like a bond fund or the Canadian equity fund, or, oh, you can invest in private equity through this fund, that kind of thing. And they will have traders that will buy and sell the investments and make sure that the fund is balanced and in line with what it says the fund is supposed to do. For example, you invest in a fund called the super special premium returns fund and in their prospectus and a prospectus is like their guiding document which lays out how they're going to invest what the risks are all that kind of stuff so in their prospectus um, this super special premium returns fund it says that this fund is 50 percent canadian equities 
20% American equities and 30% corporate bonds. Like that's the makeup of the fund. The traders will make sure that they stay within these allocations and will buy and sell investments accordingly based on that. So that's a brief synopsis about what fund managers are and how they use the money that is invested in them. But why do people invest in these funds? And it might seem pretty obvious. It's the idea that these funds will quote, beat the market, unquote, and that experts know way better on what they're doing and how to do it. And also, I think the main reason is so people don't have to think about their money, which is super odd. The last one, sorry, I'm just going to go on a side tangent. Why would you, okay, you work, I'm going to consider that most people work pretty hard for their money. Like they, I think the average person doesn't want to wake up at like, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., and go to work all day and then come back and do whatever. They'd rather spend their days doing the things that they want to do. So why would you take your hard-earned money and just be like, oh, I don't want to deal with it. I'm going to give it to this person who clearly knows what they're talking about. It just, it seems odd. We'll, We'll get more into it, but that's just a side tangent here where it's a very illogical way to think about it. Because it is something that clearly makes the world go around and something you dedicate most of your life towards making. But once you make it, you're just like, fuck it, give it to this person. It's very interesting. But anyways, so let's break down the three things I just mentioned, which is beating the market, um, that the experts know what they're doing and how to do it and all that kind of stuff. And then the last one is people not having to think about their money, which I already went on a side tangent about. So let's break those three down. First off, what does beating the market actually mean? Because I, I feel like people hear that and they're like, oh, he beat the market. That's great. And it's like, what the fuck does that even mean? Generally, a fund will benchmark off an index or an asset class that they will be trying to beat because it provides a good reference point as to how the fund is actually doing. So say you invested in a tech fund or something that invests in a lot of tech and they benchmarked against the Nasdaq which probably makes sense since the Nasdaq is pretty tech heavy so this this could be a good benchmark let's just use it as an example let's say it's a great benchmark so say the fund returns i don't know 13% year over year so in an annual return it's 13% and the Nasdaq only returns 9% that means the fund beat the market. And now the fund portfolio manager celebrates because yay, they did it. They beat the market and they celebrate because their bonuses can often be based off of how they did versus the benchmark. But we'll get into that in a second. In another example, you could have a quote growth fund and side tangent on growth funds. They're bullshit, but we'll, I'll probably cover that in a future podcast, but fuck growth funds. Anyways, you could have a quote growth fund, but with a growth fund, it wouldn't make sense for the benchmark to be the NASDAQ because the NASDAQ isn't full of gross stocks like Apple, Microsoft, and Google. Yes, they are huge companies, but they're not growth stocks. They are well-developed companies that are not on like that growth curve that I think a lot of people in business have maybe seen. But essentially, the growth, uh, growth stocks, like they go up super, super high in pricing and then they kind of like plateau out maybe like a very 
slow increase to a decline, if anything, over time. But anyways, signed Hedgett. Um, so the NASDAQ isn't full of growth stocks. They have stuff like Apple, Microsoft, Google, and they're all in there. So they wouldn't really be classified as growth. So NASDAQ probably wouldn't be the best comparable index. So they just need to pick a comparable benchmark to the fund that they are running. That's the thing that I'm trying to get towards here. And then they compare at year end whether the returns were better or worse, and their bonuses are usually a little bit based on this. And this is where things, in my opinion, really start to get sticky with this funds and fund managers, because most of their bonus is based on their ability to beat the market or beat their benchmark. And I've seen this. Um, I, I know that this is how it's done for at least certain uh cl not clients, certain companies. But let me tell you, some of these calculations and benchmarks get really, really wonky when you get into the weeds of it. And like, I've seen these calcs and they're honestly, straight up, they're pretty fucking whack sometimes. Just as a real life example, I have never seen someone's benchmark be the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ or any big index. That's just my own personal, um, not perspective, but like what I've seen, it's always a very specific and kind of nuanced benchmark, which is fine. If that's the way the fund is made up um, and it like matches very closely to it, then fair enough. Um, but sometimes in my opinion, the benchmarks seem kind of questionable. Um, anyways, an example of this wonkiness would be something like this. This is not a real life example. This is just something... These are just some things that I have come up with that could or, yeah, can happen. Um, so let's say the fund is all about Canadian equities. Um, so they pick the MSCI Canadian Index as the benchmark. And MSCI, you might see that quite a bit if you're looking these things up. Um, MSCI stands for Morgan Stanley Capital International. They're fairly big. They do a lot of like these types of indexes. So the fund is all about Canadian equities. They pick the MSCI Canadian Index as the benchmark. Great. Looks awesome. And this index is designed to capture the large and mid-cap stocks in Canada. So let's say the fund itself has way more mid-cap stocks than large-cap stocks. And mid versus high-cap stocks just means medium-sized versus large-sized companies. It stands for capital, cap stands for capitalization. It's just how large the company is. So you have a fund that's all about Canadian equities. They pick the MSCI Canadian index as the benchmark. This index is designed to capture large and mid-cap stocks in Canada. But let's say the fund itself has way more mid-cap stocks than large-cap stocks. You know what? This ends up not being a really good benchmark because mid-sized companies can show a lot more growth usually than large-cap stocks. As I was mentioning earlier, there's the curve of how they grow and everything like that. And medium-sized companies just have more room to grow than large companies. It's just the way it is. So let's say that we get to get into the calculations at year end. Let's just say we're doing it. We, we know that already it's not a great benchmark, but it could be. So we get into the calculations at year end. Let's say the fund returned 6%. The index returned 8%. So the fund didn't beat the market by 2%. Oh, but wait. Did you take into account the clause that says that anomaly days for mid-cap stocks are taken out of the calculation? Or that return shouldn't be prorated for these days because some stocks actually traded on that day, whereas others didn't? 
like those are some of the random examples um, that I haven't spe- like I haven't specifically seen those, but there are some very very weird calculations um, that kind of make you go, "What the fuck? Like, how does how how does this make any sense?" And suddenly, the return for the index is eight percent, and the return for the fund is eight point two, and suddenly you've done it. You've beat the market, and you're happy, and your clients are happy. But is that really what happens with your money? Did your money actually grow 8.2%? Sometimes I I don't think so. Like there's all these stipulations and stuff in there. And I think they're just finding ways to beat the benchmark so that they get their bonus. Now, I can't say that for sure. But when you get into the weeds of the bonus calculations, I don't know, man. They're pretty fucking whack most of the time. So now that we've gone through that, the final question I want to address as part of this podcast is whether funds actually try to maximize your returns and what happens to funds after they have an amazing year. So let's address the latter first because it's more fun and it kind of leads into the other one. So often you will see funds that absolutely knocked it out of the park. Like you'll see these in the headlines, you'll see all that, like a hedge fund that has an 81% return or another fund that has beaten the market for three years straight, all that kind of stuff. And then the next analysis you do in 10 years shows that these funds are either out of business or have racked up major, major losses in the next like eight out of 10 years. Now, why is that? Did these funds just lose all their luck? Did the traders become brain dead? Well, they probably didn't become brain dead. They may have lost their luck, which actually does seem a little bit likely, but some interesting things actually happen when you get such good results. First is that other companies want this portfolio manager or trader or the person that is making this investment decision, and therefore, he can be dragged away to other companies, and therefore, the fund no longer does as well without that person at the helm because they were the person making those decisions and saying, hey, we're going to trade this, we're going to do this. And then it leads to that 81% return, or it leads to them beating the market consistently year after year after year. The next thing is that regardless of whether that person stays or goes, maybe more so if they stay, because then people want to keep investing, there will probably be a massive influx of capital to the fund or capital slash cash to the fund. Because who wouldn't want to earn 81% or 50% on their investments when the market was only at 8%? Like, I would, fuck yeah, that'd be sweet. But the issue is that some of these funds get such a big influx of funds, of capital, that they now have enough capital to influence how stocks move if they decide to buy a bunch of them, supply-demand curve. Whereas before, they were working with a small amount of capital and could spend kind of however they wanted. It wouldn't influence the stock price too much. They could kind of buy and sell, And it was just different techniques. But now they have such large sums of money that the same techniques that got them great returns will no longer work. And then they have to settle for worse returns because of this. And this leads to my second point from above, which is if these funds are actually maximizing your returns. Because if these big funds are now being forced to hold back on the techniques that made them a lot of money to begin with, then they aren't doing what's best for you. And they are now just making sure that they meet regulations and stay within their prospectus 
and don't like rattle the markets too much and don't lose people's money as opposed to trying to maximize the returns that got them successful. And I'm not saying that the people aren't good at what they do, although it is like the 0.001 times infinity 1%, like the Warren Buffetts that actually know what they're doing. But they are also handcuffed by the capital and the situation that they're in, therefore leading to subpar results for your money. And also as a side note, if you didn't infer this, don't invest into a fund just because it has done really, really well, especially over one year. But if you see that it's consistently crushing the market over maybe like two to three years, don't don't go into it. Like, especially if that stuff kind of gets published, then people are like, oh, well, I should go invest in there. And then the huge influx of capital does exactly what I said before in this podcast, where they're just handcuffed. Because it will probably do shit in the next five to 10 years. And you're way better off doing it on your own where you don't have massive capital and you can kind of invest the way you want. All right. All right. So that's going to wrap up this episode. Some of my key takeaways here that hopefully help you remember some of the things that happened here other than my fucking tangents. Fund managers may crush it one year or a couple of years or three years, but data tells us they they'll do pretty shit going forward. So don't jump onto the hype trains and be wary of a fund when they say that they beat the market because there can be some pretty fucking whack calculations in there. Just my opinion. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hope you learned something new. If you like the podcast, please like it, share it, download it as it really does help tremendously. If you have questions, please shoot me an email. Um, You can shoot me a message on Instagram as well. If you want to talk about your financial situation, Find me on nobsfinances.com and let's get started. Thanks again, everyone. Hope you have a great day and we will see you next week.